Welcome to The Compliance Files, brought to you by Compliance Institute. The Compliance Files is a unique podcast series, giving you access to industry insights and key perspectives on how the evolving regulatory landscape is driving change, bringing challenge and opportunity for compliance professionals everywhere. I'm Cathy Jacobs, former president of the Compliance Institute and a compliance professional for over 20 years, and it is a great pleasure for me to host this podcast. Operational resilience entails organizations being prepared for disruptive events in order to recover quickly and reduce harm to customers and the market. The Central Bank of Ireland defines it as the ability of a firm and the financial services sector as a whole to identify and prepare for, respond and adapt to, recover and learn from an operational disruption. Central Bank is asking firms to identify vulnerabilities and threats to their business operations, model these event scenarios, and test the impact in it as close to real conditions as practicable, understand where the organization may not recover quickly enough, and then make changes in the organization to meet the required recovery objectives. So to explore further what this means for compliance professionals, I'm delighted to have with me today to discuss this further, Will Finn, Senior Manager, FSCOM. Will has over 20 years experience managing cybersecurity, IT and organisational change programmes in a range of business sectors. He has seven years senior management experience in information security, risk and compliance functions in banking, financial services and professional services organisations. Will also has experience in advising at C-suite and board level on information and cybersecurity to manage risk and drive compliance. So thank you very much, Will, for talking to us today on this really important topic. Will, so if we start on why, you know, maybe start at the beginning, why are regulators focusing on operational resilience? So in terms of what has brought up uh, regulators to look at operational resilience now, I think that this is not new for, for regulators. Regulators have been extremely aware of the risks posed uh, by the financial services industry since the financial markets crash back in 2008 and the significant uh, harm that was caused. So recently, the uh, focus has broadened somewhat away from financial risk to include um, the day-to-day operations of a firm in addition to financial risk. So these these non-financial risks, as, as they're often called. Um, and these risks are essentially the risks to the people, processes, technology, and the supplier elements, which together uh, deliver a firm's business services. So it's, it's not new, I suppose, but it is a broader focus. Now, I think the reason uh, for the broadening of the focus, there are many reasons. So the first is that the world has changed and Business models have changed in the financial services industry. The way people access money and spend their money has changed. There has been an enormous reduction in the use of cash by individuals. And then in the availability of banks and ATMs has also reduced. So people are much more dependent on financial services such as cards and apps now than than they ever were before. So there's a vulnerability there. Were those financial services to be unavailable to people, harm could be caused. And the financial services firms themselves are vulnerable because they are now highly reliant uh, on uh, technology to deliver their business services and on third parties who may be located around the world. So looking then at the, the threats that are out there, cyber attacks are massively increasing. I think we're all aware and we see in the media frequently the impact that successful cyber attacks can have. And 
it's pretty well understood now that um, because of global geopolitical events and the increasing sophistication of AI, cyber attacks are going to be more frequent, uh, more targeted, and more sophisticated, and potentially more damaging. Financial services organizations are now working with outsourced suppliers and have outsourced many of their key functions uh, to the suppliers. And that poses risk, again, as we have seen in the past number of years, where vulnerabilities in an organization's supply chain have had significant impacts for um, the organization itself. And again, that needs to be managed and recognized. And I think finally, there is this the events that have happened that we're all aware of that have happened in the past couple of years, these uh, so-called black swan events. So the pandemic is a key one, something which would have been unimaginable four years ago, we now know is is here to stay um, and that we may need to be preparing for future pandemics. And also climate change, which has been one of those things that we're all aware of, but we're not quite sure how it affects us. There are several recent uh, examples where uh, climate change has uh, impacted on the delivery of IT services, uh, such as during the uh, heat wave in London last summer, where uh, data centers in East London were shut down because their cooling uh, was inadequate to maintain the internal temperature required for the equipment in the data centers. Um, and although the impact in that case was minimal and, and the services are quickly recovered, it's a good example. You know, climate change is here to say it will have impacts on financial services and, and on all our lives. Thanks, Will. And just pulling that all together, um, we've seen a lot of change to business models and people's habits. We've seen the vulnerabilities emerge um, the reliance on technology, the threats that you've talked about, cyber and supplier risk, outsourcing risk, and, and the proliferation really of outsourcing, it's it's now become ubiquitous. And, and now these events, if we're pulling all of those together, what do financial services firms have to do to respond to that? The first thing that financial services firms must do, of course, is um, they need to recognize this new landscape, essentially. Regulators, of course, um, have been looking at this uh, area for several years. Um, Central Bank of Ireland, of course, released its uh, cross-industry guidance in 2019. So taking in the amount of time that it took them to develop those guidelines and to for it to become a priority for them, they've certainly been looking at this since, you know, the 2015, 2016. So regulators are essentially trying to drive change in financial services. So, and what they're requiring financial services firms to do is to be aware of risk. So a, a key requirement is that you identify the risk that is particular to your firm and to your business model and understand, assess it essentially, and understand how it may impact on you and your customers. The second part of it is ensuring that you are able to put together an effective response to a range of plausible scenarios. Um, and the aim of that, of course, is to ensure that you can recover services quickly and that your business and customers and potentially the market are not um, harmed or adversely affected by the event. So there are two sides to it, essentially, knowing your risk and then making sure that your responses are effective. Two sides to the response that, that uh, regulators are looking for. The CBI puts it fairly succinctly um, in the cross-industry guidance. The CBI asks firms to identify vulnerabilities and take action to remediate them. And of course, the December this year deadline is mm -hmm. one that I'm sure a lot of financial services firms are, are very focused on meeting and making sure that they have um, taken the actions that are necessary. Yes, it's coming at us fast now. So in terms of the regulations, so what's different and new and what's what's not new? So I'll start with what's, what uh, is not new from the perspective of um, IT controls um, and IT controls frameworks. The uh, operational resilience guidance uh, in Ireland and 
DORA, as, as uh, recently enacted in, uh, across the EU jurisdictions. Of course, it's not the only legislation, regulations, guidance that includes uh, operational resilience. The EBA guidelines cover a lot of the core functions, the same functions as operational resilience. The first of those, of course, is the requirement on firms to for governance, risk management and assurance. Uh, again, that firms are aware of their risk. They have oversight of their risk. They understand how they are reducing risk and they're ensuring that they have uh, information which allows them to assess accurately how effective their controls are and where vulnerabilities may exist. So that's not new. That That's, that's a, something that's always been required for financial services firms. Some of the specific controls that firms will already have in place are vulnerability and threat management arrangements. And this is where firms will understand what their technical vulnerabilities are and the threats they may face and will be taking proportionate action to manage those. Firms uh, already identify incidents and assess incidents so that they can deal with them effectively and also that they can identify those incidents which have the potential to become major incidents and uh, major incidents as again is anything which can have a, 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 a major impact on your business. In the context of the regulations, we can look at a major incident as using the uh, central bank's uh, criteria for a reportable incident essentially and clear guidelines have been, have been issued as to what a major incident is. Business continuity management again is a core control, it's an existing control. The EBA guidelines require annual testing of business continuity plans. Disaster recovery arrangements, which are focused on recovering the IT service, which uh, business services will be dependent on, are also, again, key controls. And the final of this quite long list is supplier and third-party management. Again, there are expectations on how firms understand the risk that suppliers and third parties uh, can pose um, and that they're managing those risks in their supply chains. So all of those key controls will be very familiar to the um, IT and information security managers and, and, and directors and CISOs who are, who are listening to this. And these are core parts of an operational resilience framework. There are some new things which the uh, regulations introduce and uh, DORA, from what we understand of it, is also you know, uh, emphasizing. So there are specific new requirements uh, in relation to identifying and mapping important business services. Um, so this was not specifically required previously, but now it is. Uh, and the aim of identifying and mapping your services is, first of all, to enable you to focus resources and attention, and also to understand how those important business services are made up um, of those people, process, technology, supplier elements, and where risk may be concentrated uh, so that you can address that. Impact tolerances, uh, again, is a, is a term that was introduced in, in, in legislation. It's a term which essentially is focused on harms which may be caused and the tolerances which uh, firms should set to, to avoid that harm. Some of the metrics which firms will already be familiar with, such as uh, recovery point and recovery time objectives, are uh, certainly elements of um, impact tolerances. But impact tolerance is, is a broader concept and should include things like numbers of transactions or amounts of transactions and, and other metrics. And again, the aim is now focused on avoiding harm to those to that group of three, particularly customers, but also the integrity of your business um, and any harm that may be caused to the markets. The new requirement, I think, which uh, attracts most attention is scenario testing. So scenario testing is a form of systems testing, which essentially develops a threat scenario, which the regulations ask should be plausible, as in it's something which could happen 
to your firm and uh, also that it's severe. So you're, you're setting a pretty high bar for the testing that you're undertaking. This should be balanced, of course, with the other term that's used in the regulations, which is proportionality. So it um, uh, there isn't a, an off-the-shelf approach to scenario testing. It's something which should really start with your risk. It should start with what you understand your vulnerabilities and threats to be. And uh, it should be proportionate in that it, it, um, it doesn't divert resources and attention away from your business, but at the same time, it will give you a very clear view on, on uh, how ready you are to respond and how effective your response would be. And in, in relation to all of this, well, just, just an observation, all of this must be documented and, and you know, appropriate governance overlaid on all of this. Certainly, um, yeah. All, all of these activities need to be, it needs to be written down or it didn't happen, as we say, in compliance. Um, Certainly. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's um, yeah, for, for, for all of those good reasons that we document things, uh, you know, I mean, yeah. the EBA guidelines has made that kind of clear documentation a requirement for a number of years already anyway. But in order to essentially manage um, and be in control of these, these uh, controls um, and these regulatory, regulatory requirements, um, absolutely a clear framework about how a firm is going to respond is uh, is is um, absolutely necessary. So we're recording with with uh, about three months to go before the year the, the, the end of the year, uh, three and a half months. What, in your view, should firms have done by now? The first thing I would say is that firms should have started the journey. Um, and I'm not saying that lightly. Uh, you know, I understand firms have to keep the lights on. They have they have business services to deliver, um, and it can sometimes seem that the um, you know the compliance requirement is is um, you know greater than than they can meet. But of course, you know they must meet it. It must it must be met. And the aim here is for regulators' aim is clearly to drive improvement in these areas. As I as I said previously, a lot of this stuff is not new, but there is clearly a, a requirement from regulators now to to do it better, to do it more comprehensively. Um, and so, yeah, firms need to have started that. The next one is to identify your vulnerabilities and take action to remediate. So by December of this year, that's absolutely what the um, central bank is expecting firms regulated in Ireland to have undertaken. The first step in that typically is uh, you should talk to your stakeholders. So your board should be fully briefed and engaged in this and understand what the requirement is. And uh, your board then should be responding to that by making resources available uh, and, and by authorizing certain actions, essentially, in the organization. The second step, obviously, is mapping and prioritizing the important business services. Again, this is something which is a new requirement, and it is a very useful activity when we've undertaken this with uh, with organizations who previously may have uh, assumed that they understood actually how their important business services were delivered. But when you break it down and you begin to do the work to actually understand the elements that make that up, it's it's a very useful exercise. And also, of course, it again helps to focus attention and to prioritize resources because these are the important business services that have been prioritized over others, essentially. The uh, setting the impact tolerances uh, for the important business services, uh, again, is something which uh, should have some attention. And to draw out a particular uh, aspect of this, in many cases, the technology element that supports your business service uh, may be outsourced. So therefore, there is a third-party relationship there to be managed. Um, so to ensure that um, when you are uh, investigating your third-party services, that uh, any outsourced services are, are able to deliver against your impact tolerances. And uh, so again, you're looking down your supply chain to make sure that all of your recovery point, recovery time objectives, and any other metrics that you've set uh, will support your operation resilience requirements. And yeah, finally, the um, around testing. Many firms, of course, already undertake testing. Uh, you know, so pen testing is something that firms already do. So most firms should have a good idea of the kinds of vulnerabilities that, that they're uh, addressing to meet the CBI requirements. 
you know, these should be documented. They should be pretty clear as to what they are. And the uh, any testing that's done may not meet the full requirement for threat scenario testing. But again, it's uh, it is certainly a move in the right direction. So remediating vulnerabilities is the next thing that's required by the CBI, essentially. So you need to demonstrate that having identified these, that you've actually taken the steps to, to remediate them. Uh, in many cases, in the work we've done with clients, we find that the uh, core controls such as incident management and major incident management or business continuity planning, uh, vulnerabilities are identified when those are tested and uh, they're not working as effectively as they should. So clearly those kinds of procedures need to be looked at and strengthened in order to demonstrate again that you know you're aware of the vulnerabilities uh, and that you're you're fixing them. At this stage as well, it should be possible to demonstrate to the regulator that you have reviewed your arrangements for operational resilience. So many firms will have started this work several years ago, and they are now perhaps on their second or third cycle of review. The aim of that, of course, is to make sure that there is a continuous improvement cycle happening and that uh, this isn't a one-off activity. This is mm -hmm. something which has become part of core business and you know is, is properly resourced, gets the proper attention that it needs. And um, yeah, part of that is the review. Um, and the review will take in things like what incidents happened in the last period, the last six months, um, and what do those incidents tell us about our vulnerabilities and how we're responding? Have we introduced new services, for example? How do we include those new services in our operation resilience frameworks? So that's a lot. I mean, I'm looking at that, you know, that is that is quite a lot. But again, you know, it's firms should have started the journey at this stage. Yeah, so a, a lot to do then before the end of the year. And as you say, you should you should have already started all of this and some of this, you know, was probably, you know, good practice, if not best practice previously. So what are you hearing uh, from your work with your clients and uh, regulatory forums? So uh, in Ireland, uh, we know that there there hasn't been a lot of communication from the CBI about operation resilience, but we do know that uh, last summer, uh, many of the clients that we work with in Ireland were issued a self-assessment form where the um, CBI asked them to report against key domains to assess their progress with operational resilience. So, And now, of course, just over a year later, there is this deadline. So it will be interesting to see how the CBI is going to continue to supervise um, firms' progress. When we speak to clients in Ireland, we find that um, outsourcing arrangements are a particular focus. And I think that's because quite a number of financial services firms in Ireland are an entity which perhaps has been relatively recently set up and is part of a much larger group of companies, often which are headquartered outside of Ireland. So the main functions of those firms are outside of Ireland. So the other related guidance that's been issued in relation to outsourcing calls these arrangements intra-group outsourcing arrangements, where an Irish firm is essentially outsourcing most of its operational functions to another organization in the same group. So that causes complexities for firms, where firms uh, need to understand how accountable the Irish entity is for functions that are being essentially delivered through another organization, even if it be in the same group. So there are some complexities there to be um, addressed around how the uh, Irish entity can demonstrate to the regulator that it's doing what it needs to do and that it's meeting yeah. its own obligations, while you know, resisting the um, temptation to try and make a much larger overseas organization, you know, radically change what it does to meet the uh, a much smaller Irish subsidiaries requirements. So there's a there's a, a line to be walked there between the pragmatic 
but at the same time, making sure that uh, the Irish entity is able to demonstrate really clearly that it understands what mm -hmm. its obligations are and that it's it's meeting those. So a, a key one there, for example, is is testing. So most so smaller Irish entities, for example, are unlikely to set the testing plans and testing schedules for their entire group. But yet the Irish entity will need to be comfortable that the group can meet the regulator's testing requirements on the Irish entity. And so there's, again, a line to be walked there. In many cases, a lot of the testing that's done will partially meet the requirement. And in the longer term, additional specific testing can be introduced, which will fully meet the requirement. So again, this isn't a one-off, quick fix type activity. This is something where, um, you know, there's a convergence of, of requirements over a longer period of time. So that's an interesting one, particularly for Irish firms. Irish firms also are very interested currently in DORA and how DORA is going to perhaps bring additional requirements. So um, we, we discuss a lot with firms as well. What our current understanding of the legislation is and discussions around uh, you know, how firms can prepare for that. DORA, of course, the legislation was enacted in Ireland back in January. Currently, the um, supervisory bodies across the EU are developing the uh, regulatory technical standards. And two of the key ones that were released for consultation over the summer uh, was risk management and incident management. And today actually is the 11th. This might not be the day that the uh, this is broadcast, but uh, today is the final day for that consultation. There will be a second tranche of consultation coming later this year. And these reg regulatory technical standards are essentially where the supervisory bodies across the EU come together to advise and agree on how the legislation should be implemented. So there are lots of interesting questions yet to be addressed around testing in the uh, in the DORA uh, legislation, um, because there are quite specific requirements for testing in DORA. And we're interested to see what the um, what the supervisory bodies will release in the regulatory technical standards relating to testing later. So we do a lot of work in the UK as well, of course, and I know a lot of Irish firms will have either a, a UK sister company. And recent uh, work with the regulators in the UK is um, they're interested very much on critical third parties currently, and they have launched a, um, a survey essentially asking financial services firms to identify the technology firms that they're currently working with. Uh, so they're building a, um, a database, essentially, of firms um, to start that progress of identifying the critical firms, which um, many financial services firms rely on. And um, yeah, there will be a some form of assessment of those firms yet to be seen. The UK regulator is very keen not to be issuing certificates for firms, which, you know, uh, financial services firms can then take as some form of assurance. So the accountability for managing third parties and for assessing third party risk will always remain with financial services firm. Uh, so uh, the Financial Conduct Authority is hoping to support that, but but not undermine that, that kind of key accountability. Thanks, Will. And what does a good operational resilience program look like? A firm will set up an operational resilience program to, to recognise that in order to respond to the new regulatory requirements, a structured approach is required, and also that um, organisational change is required to meet the new requirements. Thanks, Will. And as you know, most, if not all firms, operate on a three lines of defence model. So if you're, you've got your IT sitting in the first line, what is the role of the second line and what, what should they be doing in relation to uh, operational resilience? Typically in using that, that three line of defence model, the kinds of functions that will sit at second line will be your compliance functions, uh, your risk management and uh, information security. You know, as we've as we've seen already through this conversation, uh, all of those terms have come up multiple times. Um, and so mm -hmm. second line is absolutely central to 
First of all, ensuring that the organization understands what the requirement is uh, and is aware of the requirement, and then ensuring that the actions that are taken to meet the requirement, you know, are properly targeted, they're properly set up, uh, and they draw together all of the uh, elements of the business that are needed. So second line is, is, is uh, essentially crucial to this in the setting up of it and the initial response, and then also the ongoing activities to make sure that operational resilience is, is fully embedded in an organization. And well, what does good look like in terms of an operational resilience framework? If you could just summarize for, for our listeners. Sure. The, the, the requirement for a framework um, is to be able to demonstrate that all of the requirements have been met, essentially. Now, those requirements would start with your your governance uh, and your your senior managers being able to demonstrate that they understand and are supporting the actions that need to be taken with regard to operation resilience. Operation resilience requires the highest level of support in an organization because, first of all, it requires change, but also it is a um, a multi-year response. It's something which cannot be done once off. It's something which needs to be built up over time and become part of uh, the way the business operates. So again, that, that requires significant change typically, and it requires significant effort and specific focused effort to make sure that that's, that's successfully implemented in a firm. The documenting of things like important business services and impact tolerances, again, is a key part of a framework uh, and the work that's done to do that mapping and to agree the metrics uh, for impact t- uh, tolerances uh, is a, a crucial part of that that framework. And again, the documentation of that um, that information uh, allows it to be changed in a controlled manner and to respond to new services or as as other factors change. Essentially, so it's the thing that allows you to control uh, your framework in the longer term. Underlining all operation resilience, of course, is the, is the risk element and understanding the threats and vulnerabilities that uh, a firm faces, and that is also crucial in building the scenarios which firms will choose to test themselves against. That's often the part which uh, causes firms, you know, the greatest, they, they scratch their heads about it. How are we going to do this? What, what, does, what does a threat scenario look like? In the work that we've done with our clients, we've, we find that um, people tend to immediately think about technology testing, which is certainly a, a key part of any test. But in doing so, they neglect to think about the other core procedures that firms already have in place to identify and effectively respond uh, to events and incidents. So testing can often be people testing and testing procedures, essentially, rather than specific technology testing, such as pen testing or red team testing, which require a, a very great investment for firms. So I suppose my message in this regard is, and when working with with clients, this is where we always start from, is there's a lot that can be done quite quickly in terms of testing to demonstrate that you are identifying vulnerabilities and that you're remediating those. And in the longer term, certainly we should be building towards more sophisticated testing, but there's a lot that can be done immediately and firms should start from where they are, essentially. And finally, well, coming to the end of our discussion, um, what would you advise our members to do now? Take a strategic approach. Operation resilience is is not a one-off quick fix. Um, Operation resilience is something which uh, spans your entire organization, um, all of your back office, front office, client services. uh, Operation resilience is something which uh, needs to be embedded across the way you work, essentially. I would start with a strategy which explicitly addresses 
how the firm will meet the requirements uh, over a longer period of time, and also addresses the concept that this is a change for the organisation. This requires people to be brought along and to recognise, you know, that they'll be doing things differently in the future. So that is an approach which works well for many organisations when they actually grasp the, the nettle and they're like, yes, this is actually change for us. We need to do things better. Off the back of your strategy, I would start thinking ahead for three to five years and building roadmaps of specific activities based on the priority that they they have for your, your, your organization. And in that multi-year roadmap, I would uh, include testing and I would be addressing in that roadmap the requirement for uh, increasingly sophisticated testing. Uh, so certainly start right now with your existing pen tests, with your existing control audits and your existing uh, control testing and begin to develop that uh, so that you are running more severe tests going forward to, yeah, to really drive that, that improvement cycle uh, when you identify the vulnerabilities. The multi-year, your roadmap should also, of course, include uh, the reviews of your frameworks. Uh, that's something that's actually explicitly required. An annual review of frameworks is explicitly required. So make time for that. It can be something which will require focus and, and resources. That, that, I think, is um, that's, that's what I would be advising firms to be getting on with. Okay, well, I think that that's the end of, of our discussion, Will. Um, so thank you. Thank you very much for sharing your experience and insights on this really important topic um, for compliance professionals. I'm sure we'll be revisiting it. So, um, and thank you to you for listening to the Compliance Files podcast brought to you by the Compliance Institute. I do hope that you find the podcast interesting and useful. We would be very grateful if you would review or rate this podcast. Until the next episode, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Compliance Files. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you are listening to ensure you don't miss out on future episodes.